0: Welcome to Mississippi Speaks, sponsored by One Voice and the Mississippi NACP. I'm your host, Courtney Boddy, and I'm filling in for Tevin today since it's all about the ladies. Today, we are going to explore women of color who are leaders on the front line of the fight for justice, equality, and freedom for all. We seek to learn about what they face as they navigate the political landscape in Mississippi, a landscape designed to neglect the needs of the people these courageous women serve. Today, we have three wonderful panelists who I'll introduce. Starting off, we have Cassandra Welchlin. She's the executive director and co convenor of the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. Cassandra is the daughter of, of the South, raised in Jackson, Mississippi. As a loving wife and a mother of three beautiful children, she balances the work and family with grace. She holds an undergraduate degree in social work from Jackson State University, where she became a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, and a master's from Brandeis University at the Heller School for Social Policy and Management. As a licensed social worker, an advocate, organizer, and agent of change, her work spans over 20 years, reforming public policy and organizing for power. Cassandra has been featured in national, statewide, and local media outlets such as Bloomberg Law and Mississippi Today. Cassandra is an active fellow in various programs and has been the recipient of several prestigious awards that include 2021 Who's Who Mississippi Women, Fannie Lou Hamer Award, and most recently the Woman of Vision Award by the Miss Foundation for Women, alongside Ruby Bright of the Women's Foundation for Greater Memphis. Azalma St. John, Maxine Waters, Pamela Buzik, Kim, and Deja Fox. One of her favorite quotes, If you don't love the people, sooner or later you will portray the people by late Mayor Shokwe Lumumba. Thank you for being with us, Cassandra. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: We have Michelle Colon, and she is the co-founder and executive director of SHIRO, Mississippi. Michelle Colon is a lifelong grassroots social justice activist and organizer, entrenched in the battlefields fighting for abortion rights, access, and justice. She has been organizing throughout Mississippi fighting restrictive reproductive health legislation for over two decades, having worked the halls of the Capitol outside and inside Mississippi's only abortion clinic, organizing large-scale demonstrations, civic engagement events, major fundraising efforts, and combating anti-abortion terrorists. As a co-founder and executive director of Shearer, Mississippi, a Black woman's statewide reproductive justice collective, she continues to fo- focus and highlight the struggles and experiences of Black women, girls, and films by helping them find their path to liberation through community organizing and capacity building. An unapologetic abortion freedom fighter, lover of animals, and all things goatee, Michelle holds a BA and MA in political science from Jackson State University. Thank you, Michelle, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Next, we have Lorena Quittles, founder and executive director of Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. Lorena is a 22-year Mississippi resident, born in Ecuador by way of New York, She's an organizer and mother of three amazing girls, first-generation Afro-Latinas born in the beautiful Delta flatlands. She's the founder of the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity, an organization whose purpose is to amplify the voices of marginalized, multiracial and immigrant communities by active participation in civic engagement and deconstructing barriers that perpetuate racial, xenophobic, socio-economical and gender identity and sexuality disparities and oppression. Thank you for being with us, Lorena.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right, so we will go ahead and get started. So I have a question for everyone. And the first question is, who or what inspired you to be a leader?
3: Do you want me to go first? You Sure. Um, What inspired me is is more so as who inspired me. My grandmother inspired me. Um, The women, um, the Black and brown women in my family and in my communities inspired me to be a leader. Um, They were leaders. And at that time, I didn't understand what that was. They were just the women who was holding it down. And so that was my first, um, uh, experience and, you know, representation of, of leadership, uh, where the women in my communities. And, um, so that's what inspired me.
1: That's such a, um, um, a great question. Amazing question. And it really does speak to, uh, my story, right. And who is made up of my incredible mom and my grandmother. And um, they really inspired me to be who I am, um, particularly my mom whose life work taught me what justice was. And my granny taught me um, what service was. And between the both of them, they really grounded me Um, in the values of, you know, love and justice and compassion and service. And so um, those two really made an incredible impact on my life. But, you know, as we, um, we also live in a circle of a village, right? And we, as a black community, we often say it takes a village to raise a, you know, to raise children. And I I will be remiss to not mention some of my mentors who also helped um, get me to where I am today. And one of them is um, Henry Albert Murphy, whom we call Ham. Um, He really um, just helped instill this amazing um, faith walk that I have. And um, I wouldn't be who I am without a Ham Murphy and I hope I'm making him proud. He went on to be with the Lord in 2019 and I hope I'm making him proud um, because um, as we often say, we want to make ham sandwiches um, to let our light shine. And so those people have been really amazing in my life and Hollis Watkins uh, who really taught me what it was to be an organizer and um, really gave me the opportunity to step out when I was afraid and to um, yeah, to be in community with people on issues that I didn't really know. But he kept saying, you do know this and just gave me those incredible opportunities. So those folks have really helped shape me to be who I am and to be the leader that I am today.
2: For me, it was my mom. Um, my mom has... She's no longer with us. Uh, she she was the example of of what it means to be a loving, uh, kind and and just human being. Um, my mom was always at the center of all activities in all the households. Also, our, our home growing up was was a hub where folks would gather. We were we were the place where you know parties would happen. We were we were the place where you know folks in the neighborhood would come over. There was always food. Always, I don't know how she managed that. So, my mom was was the the prime example for the way that I that I lead, and also that inspired me to to take leadership in in the things that I do.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it seems like you were truly inspired by um, other women that were in your family, like mother and your grandmothers. Um, you know, it's really important to have those relationships with um, our parents or other women that's in our family. They leave such a big imprint on us. And I'm just happy to hear that they did play a role and why you guys decided to um, become the leaders that you are today. So we'll go ahead and start with some um, more specific questions. Uh, Lorena, what are the major concerns for immigrants in Mississippi, and how can others help?
2: Um, well, first of all, you know this this organization, uh, the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity, it it has um, it's been a dream of many of many Latino of many immigrants for quite a while. We've been officially in existence for about a year. But the work has been going on for decades. Um, and and I'm gonna tie that to you know the concerns because it's been very difficult for immigrants to take leadership, including in having a leading an organization that's that's led by all immigrants or children of immigrants, and also have a board that's BIPOC, right? And and that's that's the the the, the biggest challenge. Um, just being able to create this organization, although there have been so-called immigrants' rights organization in the state, none of them were led by people that looked like us, that understood our experiences, that spoke our languages, and all of that goes into play into the way the way that we lead, uh, the way that we that we work, and how we work for our people. Um, So our organization is is proud to say that we're led by immigrants, children of immigrants, and our board is also, is BIPOC and mostly immigrants. Um, As immigrants, you know, our experience is is so much different. Um, It's it's hard to explain um, why we're in this country. Uh, A lot of folks think, you know, we just parade into this country. And this country is to people outside in Central and South America and other places where families can carry out their dreams believe it or not right now as we live here we know we know the reality but we see our circumstances i mean we have to leave families we have to leave sometimes our children there's times where we don't see our our parents for four years um just so that we can have an opportunity uh for what we deem to be a better life in this country and so having to relearn an entire system. You know, it's very easy for folks to say, hey, why why don't you speak Spanish? Why don't you, I mean, why don't you speak English? But imagine coming into a country and having to learn the entire legal system, health systems. If you have babies, navigate the education system, Um, housing. Um, There's so, so many barriers. And learning language, learning English, sometimes falls to number three or number four on the list of importance. Uh, so language barriers, particularly in Mississippi, where there's very little knowledge of cultural competency and language access. Uh, federally, uh, organizations that receive federal funding, they should provide interpreter or translating service. And we see that that's not the case. And so language barriers are a huge, huge um uh, concern in our community, employment, employment. Um, as you may have heard, you know uh, the largest uh, raid in the history of the nation happened about three years ago. Undocumented immigrants—they uh, were working at uh, chicken plants in Central Mississippi, and they were detained. And many of these folks come to Mississippi because they feel it's a safe haven, and they can have access to these jobs. But they're undocumented, and they need to figure out a way to be able to take care of themselves, their families, and their families back home. That's another thing that we don't realize. Our immigrant people are sometimes taking care of their their moms, making sure that they have food on their table. Health care, health care with being undocumented or even being a resident. So that means having um, papers, that means having uh, legal access to living, to a, uh, in this state, we still don't qualify for for um, for the ACA. You know, we still don't qualify um, for Medicaid. Uh, so there are so many barriers. And, and, and when we, we talk about you know expanding Medicaid, we those things don't even apply to our undocumented immigrant women uh, who do not have prenatal care, no access. Um, unless, you know, you go to a uh, FQHC and even those are very difficult to access because as I mentioned before, language and then the understanding of the culture, um, we lose our culture. We lose our culture. Uh, there's, you know, it, it, when we come into the country, oftentimes, you know, children, um, are marginalized because of their language, because of the way they look. And sometimes children uh, do not want to associate with their parents' culture or language. And they try to leave that behind, leave it at home. And we stop speaking our, our language. And immigrants don't just speak Spanish. You know, immigrants, we have a huge indigenous community in central Mississippi, Mayan, um, that speak mum, that speak Kichen. Uh, So we lose that, that beautiful culture that some of us have been holding for centuries. We think about Mayan, right? We think about ancient cultures and we cross over to the United States and all of a sudden, you know, we're called names. So we, we hide in shame. Um, I can go on for, for, uh, you know, for hours, but I'm going to just mention one, one last thing and that's access to banking because that leads to so many other complications It's very difficult for immigrants, for undocumented immigrants, or folks that even have just like a a a permit, to be able to open up bank accounts. The process, even though for us, um, you know, it may take us to take an hour off work, is absolutely tedious uh, for folks that work twelve hours, taking time off, filling out the paperwork, which are most likely not in our language. Um, But then also the fear that the government is going to be able to trace us. The fear that, you know, something is going to go wrong with the banking system, because in Central and South America, that happens often. And so that leads us to carrying cash in our pockets, sometimes also makes us victims of crime. And, uh, you know, we're often broken into, our housings are often um, become targets, and uh, and we even lose our life. Um, so that's just just a little bit of an example of what the immigrant community is going through in Mississippi at the moment uh, but we I think that being you know being an immigrant the fact that you you cross borders you you swim through oceans you cross deserts makes us that res, that much more resilient and why we choose to to live in Mississippi in spite of these challenges.
0: Yeah so uh, thank you Lorena you spoke about barriers for the Spanish-speaking communities and women specifically. Uh, can you highlight some of the work that you all have been doing within your organization to combat those
2: problems? Yeah. Um, we, we are a, a very young organization, as I mentioned, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's our lives, right? Um, when, when we put together, I'm going to say put together this organization because that's, that's what I can think of. It's, there's three of us that are in leadership, um, but there's there's a lot of us that, you know, had a huge, huge impact in, into making this what it is. We kind of just started doing things and responding to, to emergencies. And we created like a very, very large base um, of, of families, of members and created committees that started working on some of these issues. Um, <laughs> that can be a challenge, right? Because we have about 10 things brewing, but uh, but we're trying to address this. So regarding language access, uh, we recently were awarded a grant uh, by the Kellogg's Foundation uh, for three years to develop our promotora program. And promotoras are, um, in the public health eye, they're called the uh, community health workers, but in the social justice movement, they're the ones who promote, the activity that's going on, so they are organizers, right? They're community organizers, and they are in the communities. They are uh, those women that I would say, like my mom, right? That are in your community that know what's going on, that know who's sick, that know who who just moved in, that know who's having a problem, that know who may need a little help this month, who may need, you know, um, a new a new coat because their, their dad lost you know, their job. And so we have these promotoras all over the state. Right now we have 25, but we have space for five more in Laurel, and Canton, in the Delta, uh, in the northern part of Mississippi. We just got two more promotoras on the coast that look out for their community. Um, and so by looking out, they are um, working to make sure that they're Getting access to PPE, to vaccines, we are translating uh, information not just in Spanish, but they're creating videos in Indigenous tongues. Um, we've had events where my sister here, Michelle, has has been able to, you know, be present because we work on the language access. You know, we we have interpretive equipment so we can all understand each other, um, and it becomes it becomes a a family thing. You know, when you have community members, when you have these women leading the work instead of an organization, you know, top down telling you what to do or telling you what, that, what they deem necessary for your community. So that's one of the programs that I am just so proud of because it's completely led by the community and they own it. They are so proud to be promotoras. And what's coming up, they're going to be trying to do some amazing things. They're going to be training indigenous interpreting through social justice, they're going to be trained to do doula, to, do be, to be doulas. They're going to be trained to do emergency response, first aid, um, and all thanks to this grant. Uh, we also do an immigrant's rights work. So that means, you know, people will know their rights, you know, what to say when they're stopped, what to do and what not to do. Um, We are riding on the shoulders of black activists and the work that has been done here in Mississippi. And we honor that. And we know that our you know, that there's a lot of learning to do for us. And we have some of the fears, you know, being stopped by police, uh, being killed by police, being detained and thrown into detention centers for years at a time. So that immigrants rights piece is super important to our work. That of course goes into labor rights. And right now, speaking of women, you know, we were pushing a huge national campaign because the folks that were detained uh, many were women, um, 690 people, many were women. They were taken back to their country. And we have one young woman who is barely 20 years old that has been in detention for over a year, has had COVID, um, kidney infections. And so we are pushing nationally, asking you know this administration, asking even uh, Representative Thompson to help use their power to get this woman out of detention. And we're not asking her, you know, grant her asylum immediately. She can go through the immigration process, just do it at home. Her mom sent us a beautiful message in mom about how heartbroken she is that her daughter has been locked in there for over a year. Um, So that detention work is also a big part. And another part that we are very, um, it's led by uh, uh, our career justice director, uh, whose pronouns are she and them? Uh, her name is Jess, and it is a queer justice project where we're creating a space for queer immigrants. Um, our folks are, are marginalized by their families, sometimes even kicked out into the street. And so we want to provide a safe play, a safe space for young people that don't speak the language, um, that uh, you know, whose parents don't understand. Um, we also have a trans program that provides funds. For trans uh, folks in detention, um, and uh, um, at the moment, some of the things that that we're doing with uh, with that program, with the queer justice program, is um, oftentimes our young people are are coerced. I'm going to say about our parents, you know, parents, we can be toxic, right? We can be super toxic, and and maybe a young woman or uh, could be forced into you know, participating in what we our uh, custom is quinceañera, which to parents it's the highlight sometimes of their teen years, and uh, our Jess has created an event called queer Cianera, where queer folks can that maybe um, experience their quinceañera as a as a hurtful or weren't even able to celebrate that coming of age, are going to have this beautiful space. To celebrate themselves, to celebrate with folks that understand, love them, and welcome them. So those are just some of the things that we are we're putting into place to address some of that uh, xenophobia, some of that prejudice, some of that loss loss of culture and language that we experience, uh, you know, when coming into into uh, into this country.
0: Thank you, Lorena. That was super informative. So, Michelle. We've all seen the news about the recent leak in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. If this law to ban abortion at 15 weeks is appealed, what can be done to protect the rights of pregnant people in Mississippi and across the nation?
3: <clears throat> well, you know, if, if this, if, if abortion is outlawed, uh, it, will, it won't only affect, you know, Mississippi. We've been dealing with this for some time. Um, the way to protect them is to, you know, help them navigate uh, to the nearest clinics, which will be in Florida and in Illinois. The other way to help them is to work with, you know, put the putting the pressure on um, uh, local prosecutors, DAs, and things like that, and and having conversations with them. Um, because they have the power to either prosecute or not prosecute. Um, if Roe Ro is overturned, it will make it it will criminalize abortion, and so and and people in Mississippi have been um, criminalized for miscarrying is miscarrying, and those people have been people of color. Uh, the folks who have been criminalized over the country have been people of color. So. You know, uh, this happens because the people in the hospital, the healthcare providers, uh, you know, they, it, it, it's their opinion <laughs> that someone, you know, who comes into the hospital who is suffering a miscarriage or going through pain, gonna that they are, they have, um, uh, you know, Uh, probably self-aborted they end up calling the police the police come they arrest the individual and then the individual goes to jail and so it is the prosecutor the local prosecutor's decision whether or not to prosecute and so we need to put pressure on our local prosecutors not to prosecute people who are having miscarriages um so that that is the, the 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 legal uh component as far as um protecting and safeguarding, but also making sure that people know that they can still obtain a safe abortion when Roe becomes illegal. And that's, um, you know, in in training and having conversations about self-managed abortion and also uh, helping them navigate with the financial assistance, uh, transportation assistance, and getting to um, the nearest clinics, which are going to be, you know, a minimum of four hours
0: away. So, Michelle, can you highlight some of the work that you all are doing in your organization that you're excited and most proud to see come to life?
3: Yeah, so, uh, wh- the, so the main thing, uh, well, th- they're all main things. So what Shira has been doing and will continue to do is um, help pregnant people um, access safe abortion, Period. Uh, We're also uh, working and doing fundraising uh, for local abortion funds and practical support funds. And so for people who want to get involved and want to know how they can help, they can make a donation. Um, They can go to the the NAF website, which is the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um, You can make a donation there um, or you can go to um, the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund, the Yellowhammer Fund, the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund. Um, the New Orleans Abortion Fund, and also ARC Southeast um, uh, uh, Advocacy. Uh, Those are all funds that are helping uh, people in Mississippi, uh, either with their procedures here in Mississippi currently and also helping them get to clinics outside of the state. And the other thing that Shiro is doing is that we're having trainings and meetings and we're collaborating with other organizations um, as Lorena said earlier uh, Shiro and Yahe have collaborated in the past over the couple of years uh, in, in honoring language justice um, with immigrant and uh, the Latinx community uh, in training them on uh, reproductive justice and uh, abortion rights and also self-managed abortion um, uh, which is SMA you, you hear that 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 acronym an awful lot um, And just, you know, building relationships and establishing relationships with other activists and organizers in the neighboring states, uh, uh, specifically, you know, uh, Florida and Illinois, because those are the states that are basically going to be our our safe haven states. Um, Come July 1st, Florida's laws, while abortion will still be accessible and available and legal in Florida, but uh, come July 1st, their laws are going to Uh, replicate the current laws in Mississippi. They will have a 24-hour waiting period and they will only be able to do procedures up to 15 weeks. Um, So what this means is that Florida will be bombarded just as Mississippi is currently and has been for some time with out-of-state patients and uh, their clinics will probably be um, uh, scheduled so far out that people in Mississippi won't be able to get appointments. So our next... um, our next uh, safe haven is going to be in Illinois, um, uh, Granite City, Illinois. There's an independent clinic there, and there is a new clinic, which I'm so happy and proud to um, announce. Uh, there will be a new clinic built in Carbondale, Illinois. So this is a good thing because it's you know three hours away from Memphis for folks in Tennessee to be able to go, and it gives uh, folks in Mississippi another option. Um, uh, to, uh, in seeking abortion care in Illinois. Now, it is a seven-hour drive, minimum seven-hour drive from the Thosis Clinic from, from Jackson uh, to Illinois, but Illinois does not have a 24-hour waiting period, and they go up to like 24 or 25 weeks um, doing the procedure. So the Financial assistance, and you know, helping people with transportation, whether you know, you're donating money to the practical support funds, or maybe even you know, volunteering to help transport a patient to Illinois or to Florida, is going to be you know, the biggest challenge. So that is the reason why Cheryl is working diligently in fundraising uh, for these uh, abortion funds, and hopefully by. If not by the end of this month, definitely by the end of June, Shira will have uh, our own uh, abortion and practical support fund up and running to assist patients uh, seeking abortion care. The other thing that we're gearing up for is that Shira is gearing up for our D Day action. Uh, we're having a rally on Friday, June the seventeenth, at Smith Park, and I'm inviting all Mississippi, all Mississippians, all Mississippi activists and organizers, and pro-choice and pro-abortion. And, uh, you know, feminists, um, pro-woman, pro-girl, I'm, I'm inviting, you know, my, my non-gender conforming and queer um, allies to please come out and support us um, for our D-Day action on uh, Friday, June 17th, because we need to send a clear message, not only to Tate Reeves, but to the Supreme Court that we are not going to allow an anti-woman, an anti-abortion um Supreme Court decide our destinies. Abortion is liberation and it is a decision, a healthcare decision that should be left up to that particular pregnant individual and whomever they um, decide to invite into that conversation. And so we need to send a clear message that Mississippians are not going to take this decision lightly and that we are going to be defiant um, in moving forward and assisting folks <clears throat> in obtaining abortion health care.
0: During the legislative session, an equal pay law was passed that could possibly widen the gender wage gap um, rather than close it. How harmful um, is this bill for working women in Mississippi?
1: Yes, this legislative session, um, the Mississippi legislature passed the Equal Pay for Equal Work bill. Um, my organization, the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable, um, have been working on this um, legislation for a really long time to get a good equal pay bill that will close the wage gap and really provide remedy and protections um, for women's paychecks and um, and have been working for years to do that along with other coalition members. And this legislative session, um, they passed a really... Harmful bill and stand alone as the only um, state that have passed a bill with some of this with some of the um, uh, with some of the language that it has. So there's nothing equal about the bill. It just basically rubber stamps an employer's decision to pay a woman less for equal work. Um, and it favors businesses or employers more so than it favors the employee. So a couple of different things in the bill, um, and this is where, um, Mississippi stands alone as the only, um, uh, state that has codified this kind of thing into laws, And it's very shocking. So the bill expressly codifies into law. Um, an employer's um, decision or right to um, do a couple of things, rely on salary history to set pay. Now we know that in the state um, or through our research, salary history um, is one of the things that continues to widen the wage gap. And so Basically, it's saying um, if you have only made um, 50, if you made $50,000 and only have gotten up to $50,000, then they're not going to um, they're not going to pay you what we know the salary range may be or what the job really may be, which may be like $65,000. I say, oh, well, you've only made $55,000 in your lifetime, right? And so prior salary history is one of the things that we know really harms um, a woman's pay in the workforce. And because women will always have always been paid less than men. And, and it's particularly harmful for black women um, who make black women and other women of color uh, because we, um, gender and wage discrimination, um, I mean, excuse me, gender and racism impacts how we get paid. The other thing that this bill does is that it expressly um, will allow an employer to pay you less based on your wage negotiation skills. That's quite absurd. The other thing that this bill um, does is that if a woman has employment gaps, and we know that a woman will always have employment gaps because one, she's a caregiver and she's a woman. And so caregiving is um, and we know that women are caregivers um, in this country and the pandemic has even more um, showed that um, that women had to leave the job, um, the workforce, because we didn't have access to child care or we were caring for um, a sick um, person. So basically, you know, we're going to be having babies. We are the breadwinners um, of our families, um, and eight out of ten breadwinners in the state of Mississippi are women, and particularly Black women. And so we're always going to have those kinds of employment gaps. And um, and if we get sick because of whatever it may be, and uh, we don't have pay leave, we don't have sick leave, we're going to just be, we're going to take off time from work. And so what this bill does is says that. Um, if you have employment gaps, then an employer can pay you less than your male counterpart. Part That's really discriminatory and absurd. And we know that m- women don't negotiate sa- their salary um, like men do. One, it hasn't been our practice to do so because of the culture and the stereotypes of, again, a woman's role, um, but then um, secondly, the stereotypes. If we are seen to assert ourselves, um, we're out of our place. And so, what this legislation does is do all of these things, and we know that um, it will pay a woman less, and um, and will again allow the employer. It favors the employer more. The last thing that this bill does, there's a lot that it does do um, and doesn't do. But one of the things that this bill does is that a woman will have to waive her federal rights if she decides to file a claim in the state. And the federal law doesn't even require that. You can file at the federal law and also file at the state at the state level, but this bill says that a woman will have to waive her federal rights if she chooses to, um, file under state law. And so we believe there is a constitutional conflict here and, um, and it goes against a, um, a person's constitutional rights. And so, um, the bill does not, um, include Race And again, in the state of Mississippi, black women are making 56 cents on the dollar. It does not include all employees, um, only those that are full time workers. Well, we know in a state like Mississippi, um, women are working part time as well. So these are some of the things that's really concerning us. And again, Mississippi stands alone in making and codifying these kinds of things into law. And so where we are right now is um, educating, um, getting ready to educate our communities about this particular law and that it would be better to file under the federal law than the state law. We know that Mississippi needs a bill, um, a good equal pay bill, but this is not and it really does speak to how uh, legislators legislators uh, feel about uh, women, and and not even feel because this isn't even about this, but it's, it's about the value. And so, by continuing to put restrictions and barriers in place, so women can't get their kind their resources, so that they can take care of their families. Um, is really bad policy making. And in a state like Mississippi, where the poverty rate is so high, um, we should be doing all that we can to ensure that households and kitchen tables have what they need to take care of their families.
0: What do women need to do in order to continue the fight for wage equality?
1: They need to do several things. One, I would say they need to start, one, they can join our efforts. We want them to um, contact us um, and join this fight to ensure that women get their full paycheck. So they can reach out to us um, at MSBWR, as board, WR, um, org. That's our website. Go on our social media, Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. Sign up, call us, and let us know that you want to be a part of this fight, organizing and letting us come in and hold sessions with you so you know what your rights are when it comes to your employer. The other thing I think needs to happen is that... Um, We need to, uh, um, women need to be able to keep records of what is happening inside of their, um, inside of their, their place of work. Keep good records, um, take journal, journal notes um, about what is happening in your, in your site. And the last thing I would say is we need women to be able to have the right to vote. And voting is really important. And we need to exercise that right in every election so that we can vote for legislators that vote our value. And that is the issue right now. We have policymakers inside and on these inside the legislature and sitting in these seats, making laws that don't reflect our values. So those are some of the immediate things that they can do, but we would like to um, hold town hall meetings with community um, so that they can know what their rights are when it comes to wage discriminations. And we're doing some partnerships um, with other organizations to make sure that um, women understand what their rights are when it comes to wage discrimination and um, and, av- and how to advocate inside of your workplace for your full paycheck.
0: Perfect. Okay, well, um, what are some benefits of having women in leadership?
3: Well, the benefits are, you know, look, the benefits are immeasurable. I mean, you know, Dr. Janetta B. Cole, I've heard her say, many times uh, I think she's quoting a, um, a, a eastern proverb about uh, when you educate a, a boy child you, you you know you educate you only educate the community but when you educate and invest in a girl child you educate the world um, women we we, 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 we we are just as strategic, just as aggressive, just as tough, if people want to say, but we're also, as men, we're also compassionate. We bring our own lived experiences to the table. Um, we, we put, you know, we, we, we are the caregivers, the nurturers uh, of our communities and our families. We also bring that in our leadership. Um, there are just certain things that, you know, women, you know, again, in our leadership, uh, we bring different things to the table. And so we can do anything that a male leader can do, and we can do that even better. Um, You know, we we have to be at the table. Women need to be at the table um, because no one else can, (laughs) no one else can speak to a woman's experience other than another woman. And you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and that's what really kills me about all of these, uh, these anti-abortion laws is that there aren't any women who are who are basically at these tables, or there's like one or two. And the majority of the people making these decisions about women's bodies, women's health care, women's futures are old white men. And so um, it is very important to have uh, women at the table and, and women in leadership positions. The benefits... Um, You know, the benefits even fall into the next generation. I mean, how can we, you know, uh, breed a new generation of of women leaders if they don't, if if young girls and people who identify as, as, as female and femmes, if they don't have, you know, a great representation or they don't have models to look up to. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I look at the, at the women who, you know, I look up to and the women leaders who came before me, and I probably wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for, you know, the leaders in my community, leaders in my family, and, you know, you know, leaders in, in, in every parts of the world, um, and, 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 also, you know, female leaders who look like me, female leaders of color, so, um it's very, very important to have women at the table and all women, you know, different women at the table in leadership
2: positions. Yeah. Um, goodness. I mean, look at what, what men have done. <laughs> look at what this patriarchal, um, you know, system has, has brought upon us. Um, if we think back as some of our, you know, indigenous folks, you know, black and and, and indigenous folks uh, in Africa and in other parts of the world uh, that are led by women, we don't have this kind of this destruction and oppression, right? Capitalism is um, inherently um, patriarchal. How uh, women um, are also, and there's there's research that shows that um, they're uh, better at working out compromises, they're more honest and ethical, Um, and, um, we actually stand up for our beliefs, which is why we're deemed aggressive when we're really just setting boundaries. And then we do more with just a little bit of money. I mean, we, we can work that money out in our households. We do the same in our organizations. We accomplish so much with foundation dollars, with donations, um, and uh, I'm going to speak specifically even to our, our promotoras that, you know, before they got the grant, they were working with with pennies that were donated by uh, by the community and they were making those pennies last. They were scrunching up and they were selling taco dishes so that they can um, so that they can bring dignity to their communities, doing something as as bringing a, a, the body of of a dead loved one back home to their you know, to their origins, to their ancestors. So it, it's it's definitely so many reasons why we should be in leadership, why we should be continue. And of course, um, yeah, working with amazing, uh, you know, women like you, it's it, it's a uh, it's it's what keeps me going every day. Um, being able to to sit in spaces that feel safe, uh, where I feel heard, and where I feel seen. And that's not what you experience when you're sitting at tables with uh, without women.
1: The benefit of having women in leadership is that women lawmakers are better policy makers. So I'm thinking about it again from the aspect of um, of being political leaders when women are at um, the policy table, either as a legislator or as a leader in community, coming to the legislator, we actually are thinking about our, our communities. We're not single-minded, single-focused, single-issued people, as Audrey Lord says. We are people that live um, across issues. And so, when we come into to a space, we're th- in particular the legislature, and that could be the school boards, what, the city council, as mayors. We're thinking about the whole. We're thinking about our families. We're thinking about the community. We're thinking about um, how can this work for everyone. And men do not think like that. The other thing happens is that we bring and i I, I like to call it kind of like a checkmate we are when we get into these leadership positions we speak truth to power and we can call um call the hand call the play and really speak truth about what is really happening in our communities uh, because we bring our full experience to the table and so we're able to advocate, you know, for um, the things that we know happen because it's happened to us as women and because we know that women, particularly black women, have long been discriminated against. And so we know those experiences and we can actually lead from those kinds of experience. And those experiences have built our leadership, um, just like I said um i come from a family where my mother my mother's work life taught me what justice was i saw her struggle i saw how she was not being um, taken care of and her wages was low and she didn't have the child care that she need in order to take care of me, nor the resources so that we can move off public assistance. Well, I was a witness to that. And so I know what that struggle is. And so I can now bring that kind of experience to the policy making table. So women, um, that's what we do. And particularly black women, Um, We bring those multi-layered experiences and issues to the table, and then we bring our whole community there, and we make um, good decisions. We are leaders just already. That's just who we are. We're just leaders, and we're just bad like that, you know? And so um, that's why you need Black women leaders at every table, in every space, because we have been leading. Uh, We've always been at the forefront of every political, social, economic, environmental fight and movement in this country. And so we know what it takes to lead. We have witnessed it. It's in our DNA
0: and we know what to do. Absolutely. I like what you said. You said we're just bad like that. Oh, we're that's just bad saying. like that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you're right. We're just bad like that. I yeah, like that. and
1: you know, and and um, uh, um, one of our leaders, uh, Melanie Campbell, and a mentor. One of the things she says all the time is that Black women we're the secret sauce. Yeah, I agree. We I are the secret that.
0: sauce. <laughs> I'm gonna start using some of that. It's true. Though. <laughs> So, I know you spoke about Equal Pay, um, but, you know, I want you to highlight um, some of the work that your organization have been doing that you're excited to see um, come to life. Um, it, equal Pay could be a part of that conversation, could be a part of that, um, but just want, to, like, a, a general um, outlook of sure. some of the things that you guys are working on. Yeah,
1: we have some exciting work that we're moving. You know, one of the... One of the outcomes of the mission um, of the organization or the vision, rather, of the organization is to really build a leadership infrastructure in the state for long term movement building so that we can shift power at the voting booth and at the policy table. And so we have several um, programs and projects that we're working on of course, our Mississippi Women's Economic Security Initiative, which is where all of our policy work flows out of. And so it's not just, you know, around wages, but it's uh, women's access to health care. It's paid leave. It's sick leave. Um, It's also, of course, you know, definitely, you know, raising wages. Um, And so um, we have an amazing project called Mississippi Voices. And Two weeks ago, we um, had a virtual tea with first ladies across the state of Mississippi um, because we understand that they they are influencers in their communities. And we had a virtual tea with them and also community um, leaders uh, who were women to really talk about and and give them the tools and bring them in a little closer, so that we can elevate the stories and control the stories and the narratives about what is happening with women's access to care, and that's mental health, that's reproductive health, um, that's our physical health. And so we're just so excited about this project, and um, we'd love to have you know women who are interested in being a part of that. Um, they can text. Uh, MS voices to 833-621-1953. And we want to hear, you know, what are women's struggles? Uh, and so we're really excited about about that. Um, and we're paying women to help to help tell their stories because what we understand is that Mississippi needs to extend and um, uh, postpartum care for pregnant moms. And then also the state of Mississippi needs to Um, um, expand Medicaid. And so we want the stories to be told about how this is impacting Black women. The other thing we're excited about is our civic engagement work. Uh, We have two projects called Power of the Sister Vote. This is us engaging Black women in community to help um, um, turn out infrequent Black women voters all across the state of Mississippi. And so we're in communities knocking on doors um, and letting black women know that you, your vote matters. And so we are doing some incredible work around that, but then we have a youth component to that. Um, And which is black youth vote, again, engaging black, black girls, black boys to be a part of um, be, be grooming them to be the new foot soldiers. And so that's exciting work. Um, the other thing that uh, we are doing, and it's just so awesome and incredible, is, you know, again, our leadership work. Uh, we will be um, launching our Black Women um, Policy um, Institute. And so and and really focusing on, you know, women who are already leaders in their community and they may want to run for office or they may want to, um, you know, whether that's at the local level, the state level, but also just getting the the tools that they need to just be the bad women that they already are. So we're excited about that work that's being moved forward. Um, And it's just so many incredible, um, incredible Um, work that's happening because, again, all of this is linked to us shifting the power at the voting booth, meaning making sure that and and shifting power in a way that we show up and vote for leaders that, again, look like us and have our values. Um, And then also when that happens, we're shifting the power at the policy table because, again, the policy table should look like um and reflect people's kitchen tables so we're really excited about um that work going forward
0: so this concludes our podcast and we're so honored that you all participated with us today and provided much insight about the fight for justice equality and freedom for all in mississippi so thank you once again thank
3: Thank you you all so much it's been a pleasure thank you so much it's been an honor thank you for having me on as always
0: Stay tuned on our social media pages for the next episode of Mississippi Speaks.